Welcome to Stories from A to Z with Mona P. I'm your host, Mona Pasenach. Today's guest is Melissa Colmer, dog trainer extraordinaire. Melissa and I first met in the fall of 2018 when she came to our house to work with me and Bailey. She had been highly recommended by other rescue folks, and were they right? She had a wealth of information to share and knew exactly how to help. After a few in-home training sessions, we were all on the right road together. Ellie and I followed up by taking Bailey to New Dawn Nosework, which you will hear Melissa speak about. Please visit my Stories from A to Z Facebook page for more information about Melissa, her certifications, and contact information. Since a lot is virtual right now, she may be able to help you and your fur baby through Zoom. Hi, Melissa. I'm so glad to have you here today on my podcast. How are you doing? Good, Mona. It's great to be here. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you're living now? Absolutely. I grew up in Aiken, South Carolina. It's a little small town on the South Carolina-Georgia border. Uh, And I grew up volunteering with my dad at animal shelters, playing soccer and basketball, you know, kind of living a small town life. Uh, And then I went to college in Aiken and I got a BA in communications, which really has set me up for the rest of my life, whatever I'm doing. It's been really helpful in dog training because you have to know how to communicate with people and, and get your message across. Uh, I'm living in Greenville, South Carolina. It's where I lived before I moved to Florida and where I met you. I, I love living here. I love living by the mountains um, where I can take my dogs out on the trails every weekend. It's been really fun. Thank you for that. Today, we're going to focus on your dog training career. And that's how I originally met you when you came and worked with me and Bailey, the mama dog, which was wonderful. Can you share a little bit about how you first got into this specialized field, how you came to it, and what you love about it? Absolutely. I've always loved dogs. I mean, I think every dog trainer would say that. But in 2013, I became a volunteer responder with Florida SARC. So that is the Florida State Animal Response Coalition. A week after I took my initial newcomer class, I ended up deploying on the second largest dog fighting bus in U.S. history. That's 367 dogs that were rescued off of chains from a multi-state dog fighting ring. Some of them went with the Humane Society of the United States to one shelter, and the majority went to an emergency shelter with the National ASPCA. And that's where I ended up going. That shelter happened to be within a couple hours driving distance of Tampa Bay. I was going almost every weekend to work with these dogs just to provide daily care, clean out their kennels, give them enrichment, some socialization. While I was there, I got to meet really amazing people. For those of you that don't know, the National ASPCA, they employ the best of the best, the best behavior professionals, the best medical professionals. So I just soaked in the knowledge. It was a chance for me to just learn for free, basically. While I was going, I was getting more and more interested in behavior and seeing what the behavior team was doing. 
because these dogs, you know, before the Michael Vick case, they were just euthanized on the spot, just not even a chance. And after the Vick case and all that media attention that it got, people actually started to give these dogs a chance and they actually would test their behavior and see if they could go out. And a lot of them can, a lot of them can do wonderful things. There's Pibbling with Theodore. He is a dog that was rescued off the chain at eight months and he's owned by a trainer in North Carolina. And he is an ambassador. Like he loves everyone, every animal. He's just amazing. And he's, he was given a chance because now, you know, we, we actually look to see how these dogs can do. At that same time, while all that was happening, I met a really troubled dog at a shelter I was volunteering at back in Tampa Bay. She was extremely reactive to people and dogs. For some reason, she loved me and my husband right off the bat. So we kind of took her on as our special case. And we started taking her to New Dawn, which is where I met the owner at the time, Ann Waterbury. I never met a trainer like her. She, she was very down to earth. You just instantly felt like a connection with her. She was using positive reinforcement with the training, which is also what the ASPCA does. But I got to see it closer up by working with her. I started doing nose work there with my other dog, Chupa, one day and said, would you be interested in being a dog trainer? And I was like, well, yeah, but I have a full-time job. I can't just quit to become a trainer. And she's like, that's fine. You can intern when you have time and still keep your job. So that's what I did. I started interning there two days a week while I was working. I learned about behavior analysis, positive reinforcement, conditioning, how to read dogs, how to read stress levels. And at that same time, I was collecting hours to become a certified trainer. In 2017, I took my certification exam and I passed. And I've been doing it ever since. Starting with the saving of all of those dogs, like I didn't know that is how you really got into it. How horrific. And yet you put a positive spin on it because dogs' lives were saved and they were actually good dogs. What do you enjoy about working with dogs and their owners? I love working with dogs because, well, I mean, dogs are amazing, as you know. They're so resilient. And I learned that early on in my life. I had a dog we got when I was 13 who had been drugged behind a truck for almost a mile by his owner. If you met him, you would never know from his behavior. He had scars from it, obviously, but emotionally he was just a champ. Like he loved life. That really showed me early on in my life that dogs can just come back. And then of course the the cases I've worked on, that just reinforced that. The dogs can just go through a lot and still be amazing. So much more so than, than humans at times. What surprised me when I started to go further down the dog training field is I really loved working with people. Early on in rescue, a lot of people say like, oh, I work with dogs because I don't like people. There were times when I would think that, but once I actually started being a trainer, I really love being with people. No matter what is happening, people want to do right by their dogs. Nobody that is seeking training is like out to hurt their dogs or out to be a jerk to their dogs. They, they want to do right. They see that there's a need. I really love helping people see a different side of their dog that maybe they haven't really known before because they didn't know. One of my favorite things is when people have hope 
at the end of a session. That is just so powerful that they have hope in themselves that they can handle the situation. They have hope in their dog that their dog can get through something. It's really powerful. That's so perfect that you said about hope. When we got Bailey and she had all this emotional baggage, she had been through a lot. She didn't know what to do with herself. You gave me another set of eyes and an understanding into her so that we could help her to grow in her own confidence. Because she was such a sweet dog. Can you share a funny story about something that occurred during a training session? Did a dog ever run away? Did a dog ever just lay down and say, no, I'm going to sleep? Uh, I was thinking a lot about this, and the funniest things that I have seen in training have happened in nose work class. Dogs have such a powerful sense of smell, so they know what odor is doing so much better than we as humans do. And as humans, we like to think we know everything. So we like to think we know how a scent is going and what the dogs will do to get there. And we have no idea. One of my favorite times was we were doing outside doing a vehicle search on a big truck. It was a large dog. Hyde was on the passenger side and they were on the driver's side and the dog caught the odor from under the truck and said, I'm just gonna go under the truck to get to the source of the odor. That's where I'm, my nose is telling me to go. And fortunately, I came around to the passenger side and told the owner, just drop the leash. I'll pick it up so everybody's safe. But that's where your dog wants to go, so let her go because it was safe. It was so funny. Everybody was laughing. The owner was laughing. The dog was happy because she got to odor. So, yeah, it was really funny. The dog actually get a treat if they find the odor? Yes. Uh, so that dog was on odor so it was a little tin that had three cotton swabs with a scent on it so when the dog finds the odor then we come in with as the handler to get a treat so that's part of the reason why i grabbed the leash so they could run around and bring the food because the dog was saying i'm here it's here that is funny that's quite the nose on that dog mm -hmm. we're going to switch to covid we are living in the age of covid 19 how has this changed or influenced your career and aspirations? In the beginning, classes got cut off and I was only doing uh, individual sessions uh, once everything started happening. And over the summer, we started having classes again. Fortunately, the way we conducted classes, the only thing that really changed was wearing masks because we've always believed in staying far apart from one another, at least 10 feet, small class sizes, so it was six people and their dogs. So all the restrictions that were put in place went along with what we were already doing. So that part didn't really change any, but of course we were all wearing masks. Now um, that I'm up here, I've never done virtual sessions before and I've started doing those. Uh, so that's been a change. But I found that, especially initial sessions and for certain behavior concerns, it's actually better because for separation anxiety, it can be great because it's a different picture when I'm actually in the room with the dog versus I'm watching on, on screen. The dog is, is feeling differently. Initial sessions, as you know, there's a lot of talking about reading stress, what to do. It's, it's a little easier for people and for me because nobody's having to drive anywhere. We can just have a conversation over Zoom. It's something that has been really fun to explore. 
Interesting. I like the hands-on and the in-person. Can you give us a step-by-step how it works? Absolutely. So usually uh, the first session, it's mostly talking with the owner, depending on the situation. If the owner has a lot of experience with training, we might go right into it. But usually the first session, it's a lot of talking talking through some of the management that they're going to do and even talking through some of the the startup training they'll do. I did a session with a woman who she's done training before. She really wanted to work on recall. I would demonstrate things she could do, like how she could stand and what her correct body language should be. And then she would practice and I would give pointers on what I was seeing. Or I'd say, you know, get a little bit closer to start or, you know, something like that. So it's very doable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, thank you for that. One of the proudest moments in your work with dogs, training, scenting, what have you? I think my proudest moment was I was working with a family who had a young daughter and she was very scared of dogs. Dogs in general, her dog in specific, uh, because her dog was bouncy and big and it it was just a lot for her. I kind of shifted my focus from the whole family to her because if a young child's not going to be comfortable, that's going to be stressful for everyone. Obviously for her, for her parents, for the dog. So I really wanted her to be comfortable. We talked about how to read body language and what to do if her dog was jumping on her and she was scared. Over the course of our sessions, she really got into it. And she ended up becoming the lead trainer of the family. She was telling, like, mom, you need to do this. Dad, don't do that. I was so proud of her. I was so proud of her family for supporting her. I felt like that would set her up better in life. That now she doesn't have to be afraid of dogs. She knows, like, okay, that dog looks stressed. I'm not going to approach. Or this dog is jumping. This is what I need to do. I was really proud of that. That's excellent. Speaking of that, when somebody has to learn how to drive a car, they have to take driver's ed and they have to really know what they're doing. Anybody can have a dog or a cat. What kinds of suggestions would you make for somebody who has never had a dog to be on the lookout for what would fit them the best? Ooh, that's a great question. So I'm a big, I know you are as well, I'm a big proponent of going to a shelter or a rescue. And what's great is petfinder.com exists. So if you have specific things in your mind, you can, they have all these filters you can put in. Uh, I do recognize that there are certain needs some people have that they do need to go to a breeder for. For instance, I worked with a family who had a child who's very allergic to dogs and they needed a specific breed. If people are going to go to a breeder, really research. I mean, do your research. You should be able to see where the mom and the puppies are kept. You should be able to meet the mom and dad. Great breeders do a lot of socialization with their puppies before they go out into the world. Uh, Pet stores tend to use puppy mills and those dogs have health challenges and behavior challenges. So I don't recommend pet stores unless It's one of the new ones that are now getting their animals from shelters, which is awesome. As far as going to a shelter, I really encourage people to go to the staff before they even go back to the kennels and say, this is what my life is like. Uh, I work 10 hours a day. I've got three kids. 
I don't have time to go for an hour run every day or, you know, whatever the situation and have the staff give you some ideas of, of who they have on the floor. Cause all of us have done it. I've done it too. You go back and you fall in love with the dog just by the, how they look. And you're like, this is the dog for me. And you get home and that dog is completely incompatible with your life. Uh, and a lot of wonderful people make it work. They, they put in the work and they, they make it all work out. But for a lot of people, it's too much. And that's okay. I have no problem with people returning a dog to a shelter and saying, I'm sorry, this was not the right fit. I would rather see that than a dog who's suffering because they're not getting what they need. And I think there's a lot of stigma on people returning dogs to shelters. They get a lot of judgment and, and that's not very fair. There's a lot of valid reasons. Look at what breed you're interested in. A lot of people pass on pities because of their breed, or Dobermans, or Rottweiler, and those can be some great dogs. Instead of just going, oh, that's a pity, I don't want it. Do a little research. Again, see if, it fit, if that dog fits your life. See how they interact with you and your family. If you have another dog, make sure that you do a meet and greet before you bring the dog home, or you know, other animals in general, just to make sure it's, it's okay. And behavior changes, as you know behavior changes as you get home. I also recommend to start training before things start going badly. Not all the time, but a lot of times when people come to me, things have already been bad for a while. And then, so we have to do a little digging to get out from under that. If you're like, all right, I'm bringing this dog home. I'm going to give my dog a month or two just to acclimate to my house and kind of chill. Now let's get into some training. And it doesn't have to be intensive. It can just be some basics. It will help set you up. It'll help set your dog up for success. A lot of times get ahead of problems before they start. Lots of people think, I just bring home this little furry ball. It's all going to work out. And then you're right. It gets out of hand and then they call for help. It's interesting that there are no rules except by rescues, good rescues, that strongly suggest that the dog and owner go through a behavior training program. There's lots of puppy ones that can be done, but when someone adopts a full-grown dog, that's a whole other ball of wax. You don't know what you're getting, where that dog came from. And I kind of wish, as I was listening to you, that there was a requirement that families or people would have to go through some dog training, even like what you're saying of just those questions to be aware of. Go to the staff first. And I also really encourage people to foster because that's a great way to test drive a dog in your home or a cat. Foster if you're like, whew, this is not the dog for me. Well, you've given that dog some time out of the shelter. You've given the shelter staff tons of information of how the dog acts in a home. Uh, So fostering is a great option. Uh, It's also a good option for people. They can't commit. Like maybe they have a busy life, or they're gonna be traveling in six months. Well, none of us is really traveling right now, but after COVID, you're gonna be traveling in six months. You're like, I don't wanna get a dog now, but I do want to fill that dog-sized hole in my life. Fostering is a good option. I totally agree with that. And that's how we came to our last dog, pre-Bailey. I did foster care when I moved to Florida through Animal Services in Hillsborough County. We had a number of 
different scenario dogs. And then when we finally moved to this house, we said, okay, it's time. We're going to get a dog. And we still fostered. And that's how we wound up keeping our Benji boy. And then when he passed, they said, okay, going back to foster because we don't want to have another dog. We don't want to go through that. And then we got pregnant Bailey Mama, and you know the rest of that story. Thank you for bringing up fostering, because I think that's really important, and it's a great out for people, mm-hmm. most definitely, and for the dog. You had mentioned about wanting there to be some requirement that people seek training. The very difficult thing about the dog training field, uh, and I think we've discussed this before, is that it's not regulated or licensed. And so anyone can call themselves a trainer. And if you know how to speak, good marketing terms, you can make any method sound really convincing. You, you know, you go onto Google and you go, how do I get my dog to walk on a leash? And you will get all kinds of results with varying degrees of force and compulsion. I do encourage people when they are looking into training that they look into someone who has some certification uh, and, and kind of dig into that. Because sometimes I've seen some places where Uh, It's the company, and they say that their trainers are certified through that company, which means they're just certifying themselves, which to me, there should be an outside independent certification source. I'm certified through the Certification Council of Professional Dog Trainers. That's a really great one because you have to get 300 hours of working with dogs certified by somebody who is already a certified trainer. They have to sign off on your hours. And then you have to take a national standardized test uh, all about dog training and coaching and and things like that. If you see that, you see that that person has gone the extra mile. They're not just going, you know what? I love dogs. I've read some stuff about training. I'm going to be a trainer, which people can do. People can say that and charge as much as they want for their services. Uh, And a lot of dangerous things can happen to dogs in that name, in people being inexperienced or using methods that are outdated, uh, which is a lot of what you see in forceful uh, correction-based training. When I'm looking at trainers' websites, I'm really digging in to what I'm seeing. I encourage people, ask a lot of questions. Like, I love it when I, I have a prospective client who asks me all kinds of questions about my qualifications and background. That's good. I do not get frustrated by that because that person is looking out for their dog. They want the best. Don't be afraid of asking questions on people. Like this is somebody that you're entrusting your dog's health because behavior is health. So you should feel comfortable. You should feel like they have my dog's best interest at heart. They have my best interest at heart because sometimes those two things can be separate. I I feel like they're going to help me and my dog succeed. Before I found you, when we were looking for trainers, People said, and I looked it up, there were places where you can send your dog for two weeks or four weeks and you can come and visit, but they're going to train the dog and fix them and then they'll show you what they did. I'm like, we just got this dog. I need her to bond with me, not with other people. Like, how could that possibly work? No. And again, like you're saying, those people are certified through that company. And maybe for some people and dogs, it works. It wasn't for us, for sure. And it definitely, I don't think it would have worked for Bailey. I think it would have just made her more confused. As a dog trainer, when you're working with someone, they're looking at you as the professional. 
the expert, even though none of us are really experts in, in what we do. They will do what you say, even if they don't feel comfortable a lot of times. I have heard many people tell me about experiences they've had in the past with trainers where they said, oh, the trainer told me to jerk the leash and I didn't really like doing it, but he said that's what I need to do. If you don't feel like it's right, stop. There's a reason your gut is telling you this isn't the right path for me. And plus, if you don't feel right about it, you're not going to follow through anyway. So what's the point at that point? I think people sometimes don't realize as trainers how much power we can have uh, with what we're doing. And we need to be really respectful of that and, and think about the people that we're working with. Good point. What do you think about when dogs are pulling on the leash, regardless of their age, mm -hmm. and there's the gentle leader, there's halters, there's the Martindale collar now, do you have thoughts on any of those kinds of systems for helping the person versus training the dog and the owner? It depends on the dog as far as the equipment. Nothing out there will prevent pulling. Lots of things like to call themselves no pull this, no pull that. A dog can pull in anything. I've seen dogs pulling down the street wearing prong collars. Like <laughs> if they want to go somewhere, they will. It is important to know that just because I have this piece of equipment doesn't mean it's gonna fix my dog. There are some things that can help if you have a very large dog and you, you need better control. A really well-fitted harness, sometimes a head halter, but it depends on how you use it. Uh, you wouldn't wanna use corrections with it. Uh, some dogs have very weird body shapes, so martingales can be good because then they're not going to slip a collar or a harness doesn't fit right because they, they just have a weird body shape. It's just a tool. And without the training, it's not going to fix it. But some things can help make it a little easier while you work on the training. Where would you like to be in the next 10 years? Where do you see yourself? My dream, uh, and it's been my dream for a really long time, is to have a farm sanctuary. I'm a vegan. I love all animals. Like I said, it's been my dream for a while. So right now we're renting a house and in the next year we look to buy a home with several acres so we can start that path. And in April, I'm having a daughter. I'm hoping that I can really instill in her a love and empathy for people as well as animals and she can have that farm sanctuary life with me. We segued into what Melissa is doing to prepare for the arrival of her baby. Since I'm having a baby in April, I've been working with my dogs, getting them used to a screaming child, uh, because initially that's all she's going to do. She's not going to be toddling around much. That'll be different training later down the road. I pull up a video on YouTube of a, a screaming baby and I have a little baby doll and I put the phone on the baby doll so it looks like the sounds coming from it. I started with they were getting treats like almost every second because I started this right after I got pregnant and at this point in my pregnancy now we're up to about three minutes between treats and my dogs just chill there. Part of their requirement is they have to be sitting or lying down. Uh, I don't want them mugging me and the baby doll because when she's real, I don't want them in our face. Uh, so they have to be sitting or lying down. And now that they know, oh, a screaming child isn't scary, that means food happens. Okay, screaming, screaming babies are pretty great. They maybe feel more positive about it than I will. 
when it happens. Um, but I really, I wanted them to get used to that because I know that's going to be a lot of what they're experiencing in the beginning. And I don't want them to be terrified, you know, if she wakes up and starts screaming. It's been going well. My dogs are very happy when they hear a baby screaming. So hopefully that will transfer over well when she's here. But what a good point to make about you're bringing in a new body into the house, something they're not familiar with. It will be different and you never know what a dog's behavior could be. So to provide safety for everyone involved, what an excellent way to start. And you are taking the preemptive action to be successful. And then we've also, in like a baby swing and a little bouncer, we've put it together ahead of time. We've turned it on so they can see the movement and if it makes any noises. Uh, because we don't want to introduce all the new things at once. It's already going to be a big enough step when there's a live baby in it. So we want them to get used to the materials before we add the baby in. So as much as we can do to set them up, we're trying to do it. Melissa, you have a niche right there that you could do YouTube videos for new parents and their animals. It's been very interesting because I did, when I was down in Florida, I would go out and I would help new moms prepare for their baby coming and for, the, for their dog to be comfortable. It's one thing to have the knowledge in your head of what to do with the dog, but it's another thing to be in that position like I am now. Uh, so I feel like once she's born and going through that and going through toddlerhood and all that, I'm going to have a better understanding of what these people are going through because I'll have lived it. So I'll know, yeah, I totally get you that that is tough. Let's look at a way to work around it. Anything else you would like people to know about you or dog training? Um, hmm, good question. I, I think the biggest thing just in general with people and dogs is to give grace to yourself, to your dog, um, to other people. If you see other people going through something, uh, like I said, in, in the rescue world, you see a lot of bad stuff. So it can be very easy to get jaded toward people and dismiss people. But oftentimes there's, they're not always, but oftentimes there's a good reason why people do the things they do. Um, barring, you know, out and out abuse, of course. Um, so if we gave our dogs and ourselves and others a little more grace, I think it would just make everything a lot better if we just tried to be a little more understanding and not immediately jump to a conclusion. That's a wonderful conclusion to this session. I Love your ending on a positive note. So thank you. And using the word grace. And especially in this time of our lives, <laughs> we need lots of grace and understanding. Um, so I want to thank you so much for allowing me to ask you these questions and for you sharing your vast knowledge. We covered a lot and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in sharing a bit of your life through this podcast, contact me to discuss the possibility. Remember, everyone has a story to tell. As always, I would appreciate your sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Click to follow me on SoundCloud and Instagram and any other podcast platform. 
And always, if you like it, give me a thumbs up on the podcast page. This week, for whatever reason, I could not get my music to stay on the file. It just disappeared. It wouldn't recreate. So there is no music. I apologize. It's still a learning process. The next episode will be available in two weeks, usually on a Monday. Till next time, this is Stories from A to Z with Mona P.